Okay, well now let's continue our study of the patriarchs, this period of salvation history where God begins to call his people through the vocation of Abraham in the first generation, and then Isaac and Jacob, which is what we're going to focus on in this lesson, lesson 9. And then lesson 10, we'll look at Joseph. Again, this introductory overview of how God calls his people and begins to prepare to redeem humanity right from bondage to Satan and the new woman and the new e the new woman who is the new Eve and the new man who is the new Adam down the line. So we covered a lot in the past couple of lessons with Abraham, powerful stories, especially that Calvary of the Old Testament, the Akhadah, and how G how Jesus fulfills the story of Isaac and the binding of Isaac, powerful stuff. Well, let's continue from there. And look at the patriarch Isaac. Now, Isaac is interesting. If you look at the scriptures, Isaac doesn't have a lot of what I would call airtime, right? <laughs> By comparison uh, with Abraham, his father, and his his son Jacob, and his grandson Joseph, I mean, he just really doesn't have a lot of airtime, a lot of uh, verses, sections dedicated to him. And I think that's because he 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 really he really shined in his test of faith with the Akhadah, right? Remember that everyone has a test of faith. We all do. Uh, faith must be tested. Our love must be tested. We're free creatures. We must choose to love in the face of adversity. Well, the Akhadah, the binding of Isaac, was just as much a test of faith for Abraham to give up his only begotten son as it was for Isaac, who freely cooperated with his father's will and with the will, will of God. Uh, so he passed this test with flying colors, and as a result, I think, relatively speaking, he lives a peaceful life. His twin sons, as we're going to see later, give him some problems, which is no surprise. Sometimes our children give us a lot of problems. But by and by, he, he lives a pretty pretty peaceful life, and, and the story is really going to pass quickly on to Jacob because Jacob kind of drags things out a little bit, as, as we're going to see soon. So so Isaac's major test of faith was the Achadas, not the only test of faith, as I'm going to explain in just a little bit. So after he passes this test, after the ram is given in place of Isaac, the story goes on and Abraham wants Isaac to marry. It's time for him to marry, to get him a job and get him out of the house, that kind of a thing. Well, what Abraham really recognizes immediately is he cannot marry amongst the Canaanites. You cannot have the line of promise uh, intertwine with the the pagans, right? Kind of an echo to the sons of God and, and daughters of men scenario back in chapter 6. So what he does, and I'm going to have to spend a lot of time summarizing some of these stories here because we just simply do not have the time to go into the details, which we will in our Bible study on Genesis. So I'm going to summarize a lot of a lot of things here, just, just to be forewarned. Well, Abraham sends his servant... In here in chapter 24, he sends his servant, uh, makes him swear an oath to go back to his home country, back where his kindred live, to find a wife for his son Isaac. And that's precisely what his servant does very successfully. His servant goes, travels back to where Abraham's kindred is, and then he goes to a well. And that's, that's really, really important there because if you want to find a lady... If you want to pick up chicks, you're going to go to a well in the Old Testament. There is no match.com. There are no bars or pubs or anything like that, so to speak, um, like, like we have. You, you want to go meet women, you go to a well. And so he goes in chapter 24, verse 11. 
He made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at the time of evening, the time where the women go to draw water. Because as you could expect, you probably know it was the women who went to draw water. So if you want to meet women, you go to the well. All right, so the well is really important. Uh, and it's going to come up multiple times in our story of salvation history. So just kind of put that in your back pocket. Well, this servant says to the God of Abraham, you know, help me, give me success. I need to find the perfect spouse for my master's son. And, you know, give me a sign. Uh, may, may, the, may the lady who comes and waters my flock and shows me hospitality, essentially, you know, may she be the one. And sure enough, there is this young lady, Rebecca, in verse 15, who comes and meets him. And it says in verse 16, she was very fair. And that's actually a common thing about amongst the matriarchs. You would expect these, these women behind these great men to be uh, smart and beautiful and resourceful. Well, you, you betcha, they absolutely were. Rebecca is a dynamite woman. She's smoking hot. She's very, very intelligent, as we're going to see later on in the story. So she's a powerful woman. A lot of people focus on the, the patriarchs. Well, the matriarchs have big roles to play as well. Well, she comes along and she waters the flock and takes care of the man. And he's like, this is her. Uh, this is, uh, it turns out, of course, they are related. Um, uh, Rachel, excuse me, Rebecca uh, takes him to, takes the, takes the servant to her family. And, and he tells the whole story. He, I was sent here by Abraham. I need to find a, a spouse, a wife or my master's son. And her family gives Rebecca the choice. Would you like to go back? And sure enough, she cooperates, right? She says, absolutely, I will go back. And the servant gives all kinds of gifts. And then they go home. And in the distance, this is actually a really good sign here. In the distance, Isaac is meditating in the field. Chapter 24, verse 63. That's really important because Isaac is a godly man. That's a good sign for him. And in the, on the horizon, here comes the servant and Rebecca. And they fall in love um, almost instantaneously, kind of like a, a love at first sight kind of scenario. I'll read it to you, verse 66. It says, The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, and then Isaac brought her into the tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And you've got this beautiful story, this monogamous story between Isaac and Rebekah. As, as I'm going to share with you, Isaac doesn't make the same mistakes as that his dad does, that his son is going to do. It's only Isaac and Rebecca. And, and I think this is one of the reasons why, relatively speaking, they have peace. They never leave the land. It's a monogamous relationship. No shenanigans with other women. They never leave the promised land. That's a good sign that God is blessing them and making them prosper right then and there without having to be nomads and wander around. Okay? So this is kind of how... Isaac and Rebecca get married. God kind of directs this whole entire scenario. And then God will renew the blessing with Isaac later on. This threefold blessing, promise, oath that we've been spending some time talking about in the past couple of lectures. He's going to renew it with Isaac a number of times. I'm just going to read for you. I'm going to skip ahead just a tiny bit. Go to chapter 26, verse 2. This is the second generation, so God is going to be faithful and renew the promise. So this is what God says to, to Isaac. Now, incidentally, the context is, in, context is interesting because there's another famine in the land. You, you start studying the details and you find out that Isaac has a lot of repetition with his father, but Isaac doesn't make a lot of the same mistakes. He does some of them, um, but there's a famine in the land. And just like when Abraham went down to Egypt out of fear, God is going to tell Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. So here we are, verse 2. 
Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. And for to, for to, for to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and give to your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves, because Abraham obeyed my voice. All right, so this is the renewal of the threefold promise in the second generation. And Isaac is a, we saw, I mentioned earlier, he's meditating in the field. He also, like his father, is a priest. He offers up sacrifices. In fact, if just as a, to prove it, if you look at chapter 26, verse 25, he builds an altar, right? So this is all priestly uh, role here, offering sacrifices and then calls upon the name of the Lord, which we've seen multiple times is a sign of worshiping the one true God, being in friendship with the, with God. So he's praying and interceding and offering sacrifices. He's priest, prophet, and we'll call him a tribal chief, just like his father. So this is the beginning of Isaac's life after the Ahadah. And what I like to do before we talk about the birth of his sons is wrap up the story with Abraham and Sarah and their deaths. So Sarah dies back in chapter 23 after the binding of Isaac story takes place. She dies at the ripe old age of 127 years old. And Abraham at this point has no land. So, and God promised, I will give you this land, all that you see, north, east, west, south, all that I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. Well, he has no land to bury his wife. So he buys a cave back in 23, the, the cave in the field of Machpelah to bury her. And this is kind of like, you could think of it as like the acorn of what will later become this great oak tree. The only piece of land that he ever owns himself is this cave where he buries his wife and ultimately later he's going to be buried as well. And it's like this acorn. So later on it's going to grow and become this massive oak tree where his descendants will of course, possess all the remaining land. So this one little seed, this one little pledge in Abraham's life of possessing the land is just this cave, this cave at Machpelah. All right, so after, this is interesting, a lot of people don't know this, after Sarah's death, Abraham got married again. And you would think like after all that he's been through, the dude would just be a bachelor, be a widower and just chillax a little bit and enjoy his golden years. But he doesn't. He gets married again in chapter 25, verse one and following. And he had six more kids by this new wife. That's that's dynamite. You know, God's blessings make you virile, I guess. This dude is very old. He has multiple sons. But what's important to keep in mind is the, these sons are not inheritors of the promise. He will give them gifts and he's going to send them eastward. And if you if you remember in previous lectures, we've kind of pointed out a couple of times that going east is going away from going away from the land, right? So he sends them east. Everything is going to go to Isaac. Isaac is the bearer of the blessing. He's the son of the promise. He will be the heir of Abraham. The rest of the boys will take their gifts and they're going to move on eastward. Okay. And then finally, he dies at the ripe old age of 175. And there's kind of this implied peacefulness because Isaac and Ishmael, they hadn't seen each other for many, many, many years. Uh, but Isaac and Ishmael both bury him in chapter 25, verse 11. And that's the end of Abraham and Sarah's life. And so this brings us perfectly to the birth of Isaac's twin sons here in chapter 25, verse 19 and following. And we're going to discover immediately Isaac does have another big test of faith. And I would, I would think that these are the two biggest tests of faith. They're not the exclusive, but they're probably the biggest 
uh, for Isaac. The, the binding of Isaac went back when he was in his 30s or, or whatnot. Uh, and then now, of course, the birth of his twin sons. Because in verse, let's see here, 29... No, I'm sorry. Verse 19, you discover that uh, Rebecca was barren. She's barren just like Sarah. There's some echoes right here. And Isaac does not make the same mistakes as his father. He waits and he prays. It says in verse 21, he prayed to the Lord for his wife. So he's not taking matters into his own hands. He's not taking a concubine in order to have a son through her, trying to force God's hands. He he learned. He learned the lesson from his father. He prays, and we discover. So he's 40 years old right? when he marries her. We know that detail. And then later on, we know the detail that when his boys were born, he was 60. So that's 20 long years of praying and of being patient and waiting for God's promise. That's not you know, too different than Abraham. Abraham waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac. So this is a very positive for the second generation. Isaac waits and prays 20 long years, and then sure enough, his wife, Rebecca, does conceive. Okay, We find this in verse 22. Well, 21 and 22, he prays, she conceives, and then it says the children struggled together within her. And she said, if, this is, if, if it is thus, why do I live? Like <laughs> You can imagine these boys are fighting so much in utero. I mean, talk about sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry is a huge theme in scripture. Well, these two boys are fighting in utero in a powerful way. And, and you could just see Rebecca just can't bear it another another minute. She's like, why do I live? Why do I need to endure this? And she goes to inquire of the Lord what's happening. And the response in verse in verse 23 is, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And that's an interesting twist here What you would to what you would usually expect. What you would usually expect is that the elder son, the firstborn son in this culture, is going to be the leader, have the authority, have the responsibility on behalf of the rest of the family. But no, God says the, the elder shall serve the younger. This is a huge theme of passing over the unworthy firstborn son for the more worthy or the more deserving or the more humble, more virtuous, whatever it might be, younger sibling. It doesn't have to be the second born. It could be, you know, someone else. So that that's pretty fascinating here. This prophecy that Jacob, who's the who's the younger son, will be the master of, of his older older brother. All right, so here's the prophecy, and in verse 24, she finally gives birth. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came forth red, all his body hairy, like a, like a hairy mantle. I like to joke, it's because she gave birth to Ewok, a little baby Ewok, this very hairy boy. A friend of mine likes to joke, it's like Elmo, right? She gave birth to Elmo, this red, hairy child giving birth to El Elmo here. And so they named him Esau, Esau meaning hairy. Later on, he's called Edom, by the way, not just because he's red at his birth, but also because of the whole story of the red stew, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. So there's little baby Elmo, born, named him Esau. And then afterward, it says, his brother came forth. His hand had taken hold of Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. And then there's the detail. He was 60 years old when his sons were born. So he was praying for 20 years. All right, so Jacob means supplanter or he who supplants. Names are very important in scripture. Names are very important for us. Right? I mean, the catechism will even tell us, you know, we, we need to know our names because our names kind of reveal a bit of our, 
our mission, right? Who we are, our identity. And in scripture, it's that's certainly true. And name changes are very important as well. Like the change from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, even Jacob, who is called supplanter or he who supplants, his name will be changed later on to a much more positive name because you meet somebody and his name is supplanter. You're kind of like wondering if you should be friends or not with this person, like he's going to steal your wallet or something like that. So later, later on, that's going to change. So names are important. And here we have Esau, little baby Elmo, and then Jacob, who is smooth skinned here. All right. Now, verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Well, here's the game of playing favorites. This is never going to turn out well in scripture. We're going to see that doubly so in the next lecture with the story of Joseph. You know, Isaac loves Esau because he's a man's man, I like to call him. He's this man's man. He hunts. He's a man of the field. He makes some really killer stew, as we'll see pretty soon. Uh, so Isaac loves him. He's also the firstborn son, so there's no surprise there. But Rebecca loves Jacob. Jacob's the mama's boy. So you got the man's man and the mama's boy, two totally different sons. He is just chilling out, living the quiet life, reading his scrolls in the tent, putting his feet up and, and just, just living it up, right? And so Rebecca loves him, maybe because he's the underdog and maybe because of that prophecy that the elder shall serve the younger. And so she loves him. Well, the family is divided and we're going to see the consequences of that right now.